Today on Inside the Ropes, a special Masters review, including a great chat with our own Cameron Smith. We get special access to Hannah Green and Sue O, and one of the more amazing domestic golf stories you'll ever hear. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 190. Great to have you with us as we celebrate a remarkable and yet unremarkable Masters, uh, a November Masters to end 2020. There's a lot to talk about. Cam Smith's going to join us. He's been doing heaps of media, massive interest in him here in Australia, obviously, and we're delighted to say that he's going to give us another 10 or 15 minutes. He'll be joining us pretty soon. Uh, Luke Mackey's going to sit down with Sue O and Hannah Green, catch up with them. There's a lot for Hazy and I to uh, ruminate about and upon. Um, and also we're going to catch up with the legend of the Maxwell Golf Club a little bit later on. We'll tell you more about that story when we get there. Hazy, good to see, I see a smile on your face when I mention Alan Clark. I didn't mention his name, but I mentioned, I hinted at Alan Clark. It's a pretty remarkable story this bloke's got to tell. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to Alan. Just, this is going to be salt of the earth times five, Andy. This is going to be yes, it is. And the guy who's, I'd say, in a really calm, never thought about it twice manner, just set, setting history that you just cannot believe at Maxville up in uh, New South Wales. So can't wait to talk to him. Right, the Masters. I don't know how many of these we've um, we've talked about now on Inside the Ropes. How many years we've been doing this show, and how many Masters we've um, previewed and reviewed. Um, Dustin Johnson made it all fairly unremarkable in the end um, in a in a tournament that was remarkable for so many other reasons. What was your what was what was your biggest takeaway from it, Hazy? If you've got one. Uh, oh, I, I think Cam Smith is my single biggest takeaway. Um, but there's, there's, as always, Andy, there's so many talking points arise from the Masters. It perhaps wasn't the, you know, the showstopper back nine that we've hoped for and we've become accustomed to over the years. But uh, if you take that aspect away, I mean, I love the no crowds in terms of what it enabled the camera and the TV coverage to be. Um, I love the... Uh, I, I, I think I just really enjoyed the tranquility of it all to be mm. honest I, I haven't liked no no fans but it was good to actually see it and I, I, i'll tell you what andy we might even talk about it with him when he comes on how about cam smith in the final round snap hooking his second shot to the 15th it flew dead over the sarazen bridge it honestly i'm not kidding you it would have killed someone because that's right <laughs> where a grandstand would normally be and yet we saw a new part of the course, which is basically behind that, in, in tucked in behind the 16th tee, and he made a birdie from it. It's just, you know, it was it was extraordinary. They're, they're not the main takeaways, but the autumn colours and I think just the tranquility of it all. And then when you throw in the fact that Dustin Johnson, who, you know, I've knocked for his inability to close tournaments, especially the big ones, has arguably stamped himself as having his best, which is our age-old argument, Andy, whose best is the best, yep. Dustin Johnson's clearly put his hand up for that title. They couldn't hang on to him, could they? He was um, His ability to you know thump the golf ball when he needed to, but then navigate his way around by playing judicious golf shots, using his brain, backing his you know, obviously elevated to an elite level now wedge game. 
um, when he needed to. He's been working on that for a couple of years now. He's sort of that's been that's been part of his mo really to improve that and. Um, he backed it. He backed it all after a wobbly start on Sunday. He backed it, and it uh, it paid off for him massively. Yeah, I, I think when uh, he stood over his third shot on the second hole, the par five. So it was a basically a twenty-five meter pitch over one bunker, but two, I guess, arms of that bunker to the traditional Sunday front right pin, and dumped it in the sand. I thought, there's the first sign. Then mm-hmm. three putted from the front fringe on four. And I thought, there's a second sign and pulled his drive, which he very rarely does these days on five and then made the bogey. It wasn't the worst bogey of all time from there. But I thought he's showing all the hallmarks of having a Dustin Johnson, I've got the 54 hole lead um, choke, for mm. want of a better word. I hate using that word, but that's that yep. what was that's what was in the offing. Then he stands to the 6T, the back right pin, which has got a very small plateau to land the ball on, even when it was soft. Um, which is another element of the Masters that I didn't really like. But um, note to his credit, he just stuck it right there, rolled in the birdie. And from that point, barely hit a false shot. And the thing that I took away most from his, in terms of learning something new about Dustin Johnson, Andy, uh, in the final round, was when he got to the 13th hole and put his drive in a position where he would, you know, 99.9 times out of 100 in his previous life have just blazed away with his second. He looked down saw mud on his ball, and then played effectively a low-running six-iron, I think, to gain 80 metres, put himself at the number for his sand wedge. But more importantly, he said afterwards, to try and knock the mud off the ball so his third shot would be more predictable. Mm. That's not the Dustin Johnson mentality that I've grown up watching or you know, have witnessed in the last couple of years. It's been, uh, that, that's been a real solid indicator of his maturity as a golfer to me. Yeah, well, he's he's obviously learnt now, you know, more about his game. Uh, he's got a great on-course partnership with his brother, who's more than just a mate now. They've got they've, whatever they've got going; it's it's working brilliantly together. Um, and he's got used to winning. I mean, he's now just a winner. He's a prolific winner. He's you know, you can argue all you like that there's more natural players in the world, and there's players who've got more range and more flair and a bit more. Um, of the organic, you know, sort of skill set that that golf um, uh, contains and, and asks great players to have, but I don't think I, I think it's very hard to argue um, the case for their being a better player. I know he's got the number one mantle now, and the numbers and the numbers, and you can you know embrace that all your life. But it's very hard now to argue that there's a better player on the planet. That if you had somebody who had to step out, you know, across four rounds to play for your life. It's um, hard to find a, somebody who you'd bank on more than Dustin Johnson when the chips are all in on the table right now. He's um, he's he's carving out quite the career. Yeah, what I wanted to um, continue to think in my own head for the last six, 12 months while we've been asking this question with so many contenders to the who's best is the best crown hmm. is that Rory McIlroy, uh, who when you see it, when you get the rarer increasingly rare glimpse of his best it's like wow and i think you know to come from three over after the first round and back momentarily on the leaderboard in contention sort of midway through the final round was you know it puts his uh credentials on the table to continue that discussion andy i think but you're right there's at the moment you wouldn't want anyone else in that position john rams getting there justin thomas still has too many not perfect days for my liking 
um, and you just wouldn't bank on anyone else to sort of, uh, I don't know, put yourself in contention. He's had four wins, three seconds and a sixth, I think, in his last seven or eight starts. It's, yeah. it's, it's good form. Yeah, he's the most bankable. That's sort of get what I'm getting at, I reckon. And, and you know, you can. So it's all a, it's a preference thing, and you know, you can use whatever sort of data you want. And he's still got to win, you know, more majors to get himself into the you know sort of the elite type category. When we talk about the history of the game, but I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done. In fact, in in a lot of respects, you can say he's just really start starting now. Like he's he's been close to the top of tr- top of the tree for a long time. But I think he'll take. You know, quite a lot out of um, what he's done in 2020, but what he did at Augusta last weekend. I think he'll take a fair bit out of that. That was to blow that field away and albeit in soft conditions where you could play the course differently. No question about that. Um, to set all sorts of scoring records, that's um, that'll fill his sails with a fair bit of wind, I reckon. Um, he, he might be very hard to... In fact, it'd be fascinating to talk to Cam about how he, the, that, that kind of sense, as much as you get it in, in a golf tournament, of trying to hang on to him. I'm sure Cam would have known where he was in relation to, to Johnson on the way around. And just, just the pressure that it puts on you to, to make birdies when he's got a two-shot, a three-shot. Oh, no, now he's four. And then now he's five clear. And You know, the greats have got the capacity to separate themselves and... Um, yeah, he, he certainly did that on Sunday. Well, speaking of greats, and I've mentioned this to you in another forum, and everyone who's ever listened to me dribble on with you knows that I'm a, um, a diehard NHL fan. Um, of course, Dustin Johnson is, um, you know, partnered with Pauline Gretzky. Oh, really? The daughter right. of the great yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, <laughs> and Wayne Gretzky, I, I understand now, has had a, a chat with... Um, Dustin Johnson, maybe two years ago, three years ago, when he was winning occasionally and then being a bit flighty and not seeing him for a while, which is you know a trademark of someone, a lesser player than what we're just talking about now. Uh, and Gretzky, who was, you know, for the best part of 15 years, far and away the best player ever on the, on the rink. And, you know, he's, he's the Don Bradman of ice hockey. Yeah, said to him, "Do you want to be? You know, what do you want to get out of this?" And he sat down, had a real big talk with him, apparently, and said, "You know, you got to put your foot on people's throats week after week after week. You can't do it one and then have four weeks off and come back and do it again. It's not the sign of a champion." And I think he's matured enough, Andy, in so many different respects. Um, obviously, the you know, there's a lot of rumours around about what he's done in the past and everything, but you can only judge him on the course. And in the last little while, he's clearly been dedicated. And when he spoke after his win saying that, you know, I want to get up to the double-digit major championship uh, level. Um, and then you hear the Golf Channel analysts assess them and say, this is probably the biggest hurdle to have overcome to get this one out of the road because now, you, now you're playing with house money. At two, at two majors, you're now in the Hall of Fame. You're all that sort of stuff. You're now playing with house money. So I, you know, would expect to see him really peel off a couple in the next two or three years. Just as, a, as an aside before we move on, did you happen to see the tailor-made um, video clip that they've put out on their social media platforms of him hit that drive? He's doing a, a bit of a sort of trade day thing with, you know, Rory's there and Jason Day's there and a few others. And he's hit a left-handed drive. And he's hit a left-handed drive, generated clubhead speed of 118 miles an hour and carried it 294 yards. Flushed it. 
So he's hit a left-handed wow. drive, 294-yard carry with a club head speed of 118 miles an hour. He, uh, he knows what he's doing with a golf club in his hand. If you haven't seen it, find it. We'll spend a bit of time talking to Ken Smith um, in a moment, so maybe we'll, um, we'll, we'll hold our stuff for him. But, I mean, he, and he is writing his own story at the moment, and, and it's a story that's intriguing from an Australian golf perspective. You might want to say something about him now before we get to him in about five or six minutes, but... He's he's emerging. Yeah, isn't he? he's... I, I was I was think I was thinking about exactly that um, during the week. Thinking back to what he was and where he is now as a twenty seven year old, he won an Australian Junior Championship. He won an Australian Amateur Championship. Mm. Um, you know, he he won domestically. I saw him qualify for the um, for the Open Championship as a very young fella at Kingston Heath when he probably had no right to have known how to play the bouncy sandbelt courses so well. Um, you know, he's won, uh, he, he showed himself at the Australian level, at the elite level, winning two PGA championships. He showed himself on debut at the US Open. Then he's ground away. He's won a team event with Jonas Blixt. He's won a single event at Hawaii. He's progressed at the Masters and now up to this point, a runner-up in a major championship. You can see the progression. Yeah, You can see it. And yep. he didn't, by his own admission, we'll talk to him about this, I'm sure, have his own have his A game rather with his driver or his irons, his long irons. But my God, Andy, some of the ups and downs that he had were I don't know, if there was a a, a video of amazing escapes, Cam Smith would fill half the book for what he did yep. at Augusta yep. National. Yep. And, and I think when he's got all his weaponry aligned in a year or two two years, when when he feels he's at his peak as a player. I can't see him not being in the mix um, if he if he chips some putts like that. God, nine one putts, Andy, on on Saturday yeah, afternoon well. on the back nine at Augusta, and the three arguably greatest up and downs in succession, all different types on 16, 17, 18 that I've ever seen. It was extraordinary. Uh, he makes it happen. So that was his 17th major. He's made 14 cuts at major championship level with three top fives now. Um, so it's all, this is, you know, this is a very good, this is a very good CV at the elitist level uh, that, that he's putting together. A bloke who's, you know, setting the benchmark and might only have one in front of him, depending on how you want to argue about these things. Um, Tiger, we should mention him, defending champion. Did you see the stat? No, I thank Justin Ray for this. He's a great follow on um, social media if you, if you like consuming golf data. He wrote this. It took Tiger 23,789 holes on the PGA Tour to make his first 10, which is what he did on 12. Um, but it was what he did thereafter, Hazy. He's not going to won this, and he's going to be a footnote in, in the history of the 2020 um, US Masters. But what he did after he made that 10 on 12 was... Um, it was pretty. It was pretty extraordinary. When you, um, if you could, you know, do some sort of, uh, I don't know if it's a post mortem if you're still alive. Is it a pre mortem, Andy? I don't know. But if you can, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I have no idea. But uh, you would find something that's different for him to others because. Yeah, he's a legitimate... Everyone knows he's a great player, but that's what makes champions. He could have thrown the toys out of the cot and yep. just really collapsed down the leaderboard. But he's five of the final six holes to get <laughs> back to the red figures. and ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is ridiculous. And he had nothing to play for other than his nope. pride. There was no crowd roaring him. 
it won't matter where that is in the in the you know the annals of history because it's what's the difference between T40 and T52? Who cares? Um, or at his level, who cares? But yeah, the pride in his own performance at nearly uh, what is he nearly 45 years of age to knuckle down and do that and and to show the world that he still got it was immense, really immense. Yeah, and no doubt. Andy, while, while we're on guys who are on the wrong side of their prime. Can I just make mention, and I know you marveled at this a couple of years ago when we were talking about um, Bernhard Langer playing against Jason Day and the difference in where they were hitting the ball from. In the last couple of rounds, Bernhard Langer, who became the oldest player to make the cut at the Masters at age 63, was teeing it up alongside some of the biggest hitters in world golf, most notably uh, the pre-heavily built-up Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in the final yes. round yes. and gave him a beating. Gave This is 63-year-old German who is hitting two hybrids into par fours as opposed to Bryson DeChambeau hitting flick wedges, and he beat him. Three under the card to two under the card. Bernhard Langer's result there is one of the more extraordinary um, that – Masters history has ever had. I, no doubt. It, look, T29 is T29, but no, no. he's 63 years old, Andy. Uh, no, so you're 100% right. And so what we should do is revel in the greatness of Langer. And we should, as much as it hurts us to mention the name Larry Mize, we should mention the fact that in the opening oh. round, Mize matched DeChambeau's score. In fact, did he beat him? No, he had the same score in the opening round, hitting the ball 87 yards shorter on average off the tee than DeChambeau. So, so there's the other old bloke who made the cut and had a great weekend. Those who believe, so, so we should revel in their great deeds and just move on from that. But unfortunately, some won't do that. They will say, well, there you go. The rollback debate's over. The ball doesn't go too far. Langer's beaten DeChambeau. Myers has had the same score as DeChambeau in the opening round. So everybody talking about rolling the ball back, get a grip, shut up, and let the game do what the game does, and that is evolve. Is there any merit in your mind at all um, in in that argument? Uh, look, I I can't see how one week of brilliant hands on a brilliantly designed course should upend the argument of those who've got a body of evidence that's been accumulating for years. And I think mm. we can, um, you know, we're about to talk to Cam Smith in a second here. The single biggest takeaway from me, Andy, on the scoring front is that Cam Smith's score would have won him. No one's ever lost with that score in the yeah. Masters, 15 yes. under. Yep. There were six six blokes having done it seven times with Tiger twice have scored better than that at the Masters. But if you look at the scoring records of the major championships, so now the Masters 2020, Dustin Johnson, uh, Jason Day at the PGA in 2015, Henrik Stenson at the Open in 2016. It's no coincidence that all these great scoring marks that 20 under in a major championship, are you mm, kidding? Mm, that mm. Uh, that mark can be obtained so many times in one small batch of golfing history. It's a complete anomaly except for the distance debate. So, yep. you know, the yep. fact that... Um, Dustin Johnson, we didn't talk about his length because we were all talking about DeChambeau's length. But he still hit. When he went through his sticks in his post, uh, in his winner's press conference, like, it was like, oh, my God, you hit, you hit a what to where? Are you kidding yeah. me? Well, uh, he's driving. A huge yeah, he's weapon. driving. Yeah. You, yeah. You've, you've still got to hit it well, clearly. Yeah. And he did. And that's why he won. 
but the scores as a result are now off the charts. Yeah, well, his driving distance average was 308.67, so that's not shabby. That's not knocking it out there, 265, 270, and hitting five irons into you know the middle of greens. I mean, he's hitting it. He's hitting it a long way down there, but and and that was probably distorted to some degree because he did play a more controlled brand of golf this year than he's hitting three woods off um, thirteen, and so he's doing all sorts of things. Look, we might um, if and we've got no, to- and yeah. there's no run, Andy, and, and there's no run, there's exactly. no run on the fairways yeah, either. Yeah, and there was a th- <laughs> yeah, there was a there's a few other things that we have to get to Cam Smith. We'll, so we'll get a break out of the way. We'll get to Cam Smith. There's a few other bits and pieces we'll probably knock over a bit later on in the show, but. Um, Congratulations to Dustin Johnson. I know he's a regular listener to the show. Um, well done, DJ. And he's been promising for a long time, Hazy, that he'll come on, come on one of these days. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, a break here on Inside the Ropes. Cam Smith, uh, another top five uh, in the Masters. Second he was uh, on Sunday over there. Going to join us on the other side of this for a chat. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Great to have you with us and great for, that Cam Smith's been able to find another five or ten minutes for us. I'm sure he's probably ready to move on and stop talking about what might have been and what was, in fact, but he's been good enough to give us a bit of time uh, as the dust settles on the 2020 Masters. Um, Cam, thanks for joining us, mate. Congratulations. Um, it must have felt close there for a little while for you. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, obviously, on Sunday... Trying to chase down the world number one with a four-shot lead, odds aren't in your favour, but um, I like to feel like I gave it a pretty good crack. What's it like? We were having a chat in the first segment, Hazy and I, about this, and um, that 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 notion. I'm not sure, you know, leaderboard watching and score knowledge and all of that sort of stuff around the course. I don't know where you sit with all of that, but I. I imagine you do have a sense of you're trying to hang on to him, and he, you know, he has a couple of little hiccups early, and, and then he starts. Two becomes three, three becomes four. What's it? Can you describe that sense of trying to hang on to him when when he's starting to stretch that lead? Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's really hard to explain. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll, I mean, obviously, I was just trying to play my best golf, and you know, there was a point there where it seemed like it was almost match play um, on on the on the front line there. Obviously, him, him being in the group behind, it was hard to kind of see every shot, but yeah, he was just too good. Cam, did you ever let your mind wander, say when you hit that unbelievable shot on seven and then you hit that magnificent shot from the pine needles on nine, even though I know you didn't see it trickle to where it got to, but when you got up there and thought, you know, this is my day, did you ever let your mind get to that point? Um, not not really. Um, it, was, it was just... He's just too big of an ask, I think. Um, he's he's obviously been playing some really good golf, and um, you know, after I made that bogey on five, I really thought um, I'd have to play unbelievable to have a chance. And um, as it turns out, I would have had to play five shots better, which I definitely didn't have that day. What have you found yourself thinking about? yourself and, and your own performance and Sunday in particular, what have you found yourself thinking about as the dust has settled on, on this one? Um, yeah, I mean probably I, I just need to the thing that bugs me the most probably is the way I hit my driver last week I, I hit it terrible to be honest and um, I feel as though I was hitting my especially my shorter iron good enough to um, to make a lot more birdies so it was kind of frustrating in a sense, um, but also it's, 
it was a great week. So was that just a... Go on, Hazy. You go, Hazy. Yep. I wanted to ask you about your rescue shots because you, you were immediately you came off the course, you said what you just said then about, you know, my driver wasn't in its best shape. But I put it to you, Cam, and I know you've, you know, you put a lot of stock in your wedge play that on Saturday, the back nine, and then at times on Sunday, most notably on the 15th again, some of your escape play is the best, arguably, that's ever been. It was magical for so long. Are you, do you look back with pride on that? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I feel like I've, I've always. That's probably probably been the best part of my game, definitely throughout my professional career. But um, yeah, I, I I do put a lot of work into my short game and, and my putting. And um, it's good to see when you know when it does hold you up in a tournament like that. It's just kind of puts a tick, you know, in the box. You know, just saying like, you're doing the right thing. Just keep going. I mean. That's that's probably last week was, I mean last week was crazy, but that's definitely the best I've ever chipped and putted in my life. Yeah, right, mate. I've got to ask you about that fifteenth um, because I assume that some subconsciously your second shot was like your last hurrah at trying to catch him. You were trying to play the hero shot that you played earlier in the week with it nearly had the albatross. When you sniped that second shot from the top of the hill on 15, do you realise that you probably would have killed someone if the grandstands had been in play? <laughs> That's the first thing I said to Buffy, actually. I was like, lucky that grandstand's not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a terrible shot. But uh, the next one made up for it. So can you tell us, what was it like? We were watching it on telly and it was such an unusual, you know, visual experience for obvious reasons what was it like playing the course without all of the people and and all the grandstands and everything around the place yeah it was it was really quite odd especially i mean usually that place has got you know 40,000 40 or 50,000 people every day so you used to seeing the you know the big bank just say on the side of 16 and in front of six that's usually I mean, shoulders to shoulder people there and, you know, you look over there and it's just a paddock full of grass. So it was definitely a weird experience. Um, another thing that was probably definitely lacking was the just the atmosphere that that place brings. Um, I don't know what it is, but the acoustics around there are incredible. You can, you can always kind of feel and tell what everyone else is doing. And in terms of how it played, it was obviously, you know, a whole lot softer and it looked like some of those tee boxes were, you know, were, were pretty muddy. I mean, obviously a different time of the year and they had some rain, you know, in the lead up to the event. But in terms of, you know, clubs you were hitting and distance, you know, all that sort of stuff, was it a remarkably different Augusta National that you contended with this time around? Yeah, the, the softness was, was definitely really weird. Um the the clubs we were hitting in weren't too weren't too bad actually. I, I thought, you know, going into the week, um, I thought it was going to be really cold, and um, I thought the course was going to play extremely long. But it actually didn't play that bad. Um, you know, Thursday was obviously soft. By the time we got out there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the, the fairways got you know actually quite firm. The greens just weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cam, I, when you had to play the twenty-six holes on the 
I guess, the second day for you. Do you look back at that and think, my God, I've made 12 birdies and an eagle in 26 <laughs> holes at Augusta. Um, my game is actually legit. <laughs> um, oh, I'd like to think it was pretty legit before before that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, no, that was, that was a really cool day. Um, that was actually quite an up-and-down day. Obviously made lots of birdies to end off that that second or first round, sorry, um, and then uh, made three bogeys on the on the front nine or the first ten. So I bogeyed seven, nine, and ten in the in the second round, um, and I think I was down, back down to like three or four under, and um, it was it was either you know a make or break, I guess, kind of back nine. Either I play well and um, stay in it, or um, you know, just crap happens and you, you're out of the tournament. So um, just just dug deep on that on that second nine and um, you know finished with a few birdies in a row there, which was nice. So that that albatross, that near albatross on 15. Could you believe when he got up there? Was it a seven wood or a seven hybrid, whatever you hit in there uh, from 247? Could you believe where the pitch mark was in relation to your ball, like that you could actually stop and control <laughs> that ball so close to the flag? Yeah, I mean that's that's just the typical stuff that you don't that just doesn't happen around there. Like that that ball's you know usually probably getting pretty close to the water in front of the 16th tee box. So it was, I mean that just goes to show, you know, it it was just such a weird week. Have you got it? One, one last one from me. Have you, have you, are you forming a sense as to why um, you go well around this place? I mean, you're putting together a really great Augusta profile. Is there, have you worked out a reason as to why you and this course seem to suit one another? Um, I, I like the challenge, obviously, but um, it, it just really suits my eye. I, I feel like you have to be smart, and um, I just like the shots that it it demands of you like there's mm. you know so many holes where you have to work a ball one way and use a slope and I just love being creative and um, I think that's maybe one of the best places in the world to be creative Two more from me Cam and I'll let you go I want to know and I know you've probably been asked this question a fair bit here do you think you'll sit back uh, in time and go of all the people since the mid-1930s who have played Augusta National, I'm the first person to have the four rounds under 70, that that sits unbelievably well with you and it's just such a historic achievement? Or do you think, Jesus, I've been dudded there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the immediate reaction is, um, you know, it's, it's obviously very cool, but, you know, how didn't I win? <laughs> Basically. Yes. Um, and it's... <laughs> And yeah, it's, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. DJ displayed better golf, and that's the way golf is sometimes. So um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've definitely accepted that. But um, to come out with that, I guess, is a, a silver lining. And one last one from me, mate. It was it was nearly trending on social media at home for you. Uh, the Mustaka. What what is growing on your top lip, and how long is it taking you to get it to that salubrious level? <laughs> Yeah, uh, if a if a strong wind comes through, it, it might be gone. Um, it's it's terribly thin. 
But uh, no, it, it's probably taking me a good couple of weeks um, to grow that out. So uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. But I've uh, I've left it on too. I usually give it a shave after a tournament. So uh, I've left it on there for a few more days. Well, mate, the caddy's got plenty yeah, of fa- yeah, yeah, the caddy's got plenty of facial hair. It's hardly ZZ top, though, is it? You two together. I mean, let's be honest. It's going to take a bit of time before <laughs> before we start sort of uh, challenging those crazy dudes. <laughs> yeah, we've we've. Okay. I mean, I I saw plenty of posts on on Instagram and stuff of us two and people taking the Mickey out of us, but I, I I loved it. I thought it was oh, hilarious great, myself. It's great. And Ken, we're recording this on Wednesday morning in Australia. I know that you've got something very important to watch on television later tonight, our time. Uh, you got a word of advice for the boys wearing the maroon in the big decider? Um, I don't know. Just, just be Queenslanders. We're, we're down in down in the dumps, down in the dumps, and um, no one thinks we can get it done. So hopefully we can. Mate, good luck. Um, well played again. We're all, you know, we're all up in the early hours of the morning uh, watching it and getting excited and rap for you again. It's, um, it's. I think you're going to be one of our staples at this tournament for quite some time, mate. Um, enjoy the afterglow. Uh, get a rest. I don't know when. When do you tee it up next? When? When's your next? When's the next time you you tee one up? Uh, Leash and I are going to play the QBE shootout. Um, that's. I think that's in about three or four weeks' time. So. Um, yeah, we're just going to have, have a little hit down there together. It should be good fun. Um, and then uh, Maui, the tournament of champions, would be the next one. Well, mate, well played. Congratulations. Commiserations, you didn't get the result you're after, but it was a hell of a performance again, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, no worries, guys. Anytime. Thanks. Good on you, mate. Cameron Smith joining us on Inside the Ropes. He's second top five in the last three years at Augusta. It's a remarkable profile he's putting together. Uh, don't go anywhere. Suo, Hannah Green to join us on the other side of the break. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Great to hear from Cam Smith. Great to have him on the show. Appreciate him giving us uh, some time. He'd be pretty exhausted, I reckon, after... Uh, the week that he's endured, and not the week that he's endured, the week he's enjoyed, and but the the interest in it afterwards does <clears throat> take a bit of a toll. I know his phone's been ringing hot, and he's been doing interviews all over the world. So good on him for giving us a bit more time. Big family here, Hazy, at Inside the Ropes. We've got contributors all over the place, and Luke Mackey's one of those, and he's caught up with a couple of our young superstars somewhere. I don't even know where they all are at the moment. I'm sure you'll know a bit more about this than me. Yeah, well, Luke Mackey um, is basically based in a house in Florida and he's it's become sort of a halfway hub for um, all Australian golfers um, as they jet around the world this year. It's obviously been a little bit different, but with a few weeks off uh, between tournaments on the LPGA Tour and they resume this week, uh, he's actually had the chance to have um, a handful of uh, women there and among them this week Andy I, I pinned him down the great man the big dog he calls himself <laughs> and uh, he actually sat on a couch and you'll have to excuse a couple of ruffles in the audio here at the start of it but he sat on the couch literally between Hannah Green and Sue O and I, I asked him just to you know get the feel of how the girls we're going about their job in this in crazy year and what, what lay ahead for them. Rightio boys, coming to you live from live from Windermere, the Australian Golf House, the Australian Golf Base in Orlando, Florida. I have Hannah Green and Suo here. They have three tournaments to go. 
Oh, four tournaments to go for the year. Hannah, what have you been up to the last three weeks here in Orlando? Not a whole lot, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, no, in all seriousness, I've done a Strix and Shoot. I've gone to see Webby, played some golf here and there. Um, just enjoyed my time here in Orlando. Sue, what about you? Mm, pretty much the same thing as Hannah, minus the Strix and Shoot. Was not invited <laughs> to this Strix and Shoot with the Cam Champ and McDowell. I was just left here with Luke Mackey. <laughs> Better company, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've just been chilling, practicing, doing some FaceTime sessions with my coach. Um, scaring Ruby. Scaring Ruby, just <laughs> pissing everybody off. Um, but yeah, not much. What are you two most looking forward to for the rest of the year? And please be honest. 37 days till I go home! <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm excited for US Open and CME. It'll be interesting um, weather, Houston in December, but uh, hopefully I can finish the year strong and, uh, yeah, get myself home, relax a little bit in hotel quarantine and then enjoy the summer down in Oz. Yeah, pretty much the same, really. I'm not into a champs yet, um, so I'm either yes. going home mm-hmm, yet um, Hannah's going to be pretty pissed off with me if I don't make it because of Sunday she might be uh, it's her birthday so she could win a million dollars and I think she wants me there to spend her million dollars <laughs> but um, yeah so I have to play well the next three events to get into the tour champs um, and then we're both out of here and spending Christmas and New Year's in hotel all by ourselves which will be amazing um, but we're just looking forward to some, um, maybe some Aussie events from a couple of things that I saw playing. I don't know if this is media content, so maybe <laughs> leave that out of it, but maybe play some Aussie events and just chill out and practice and get ready for 2021. So what's been the biggest challenge for you this year during COVID, um, compared to say other years on tour? Um, I think. Um, particularly just Melbourne being in such strict lockdown um, I guess I couldn't really do the preparation as well um, but it was like looking back maybe I shouldn't have changed like some shafts in my irons and especially when I couldn't actually go out on the golf course um, <laughs> But, I mean, I wanted to change it, so it didn't really matter, but I wish um, that was probably tricky. Um, I guess being on tour is just, we have to be a lot more organized to, um, like, register people, and even we have to register ourselves two weeks prior to the event, or, like, ten days before the event, so if we miss it, just a lot of extra steps, but... Other than that, we're pretty happy to be out playing. Just have to be really careful on what we do. Um, obviously, can't go out and do most things. Um, just trying to play it really safe. And what about for you, Hannah? What's been the biggest struggle this year compared to other years? Uh, I think just not being able to go back to Australia. Um, last year, Sue and I both actually decided to use Australia as our base and go home 
every six to eight weeks depending on the schedule and we don't obviously have the flexibility to do that this year with the hotel quarantine and just how expensive flights are so that's one reason why we are super excited to get back home because we're pretty much Mm. going to be on the road for five months which is for me personally the longest I've ever been on the road so I guess because we had such a long break um you know, from March through to August, it, it's been okay so far. And having the house here and hearing other Aussies and seeing heaps of people that come through the house, it's definitely been beneficial. But um, yeah, hopefully next year, even looking at our schedule that we've been shown, hopefully we can get back home and yeah, be able to see everyone and see our coaches, see our friends, family. What's some of the obvious things to all the fans out there around the world that obviously can't be at tournaments? What are some things that you're missing at the moment on tour? What are some things that are considered to be very normal uh, that in this international COVID pandemic that you're really struggling with? Um, I guess just having crowds. Not that we get, like, big crowds, but even, like, small things, like, normally... After the round, I'd, like, sign a golf ball and, like, give it to the volunteer. But then, like, first, first like, few events, I wasn't sure if I'm allowed to do that or, like, it's just super awkward. Like, the normal things, you just have to, like, just second-guess it. Um, leaderboards, we haven't really had that many leaderboards out there. Um, like, even if I'm not in contention, I guess I kind of like to see it. Um, what are some other obvious things? I guess not really knowing what to do after the round. I think it's a little awkward still. Mm, some people just pump, some people just say thanks. Um, but I kind of don't mind that we don't have to do a fake hug after the round. <laughs> not going to lie, but I don't know. It hasn't really changed that much, I guess. And both of you previous... Uh... Kari Webb scholarship winners um, and you went down to see your good friend and mentor uh, a couple of weekends ago and she's got an she's be playing this week with you girls in Tampa um, how was the weekend with Kari? Yeah it was fun we went um, just over like the weekend two nights um, but there was a tropical storm coming in so <laughs> a lot of indoors and uh, not, we still got one round of golf in and we didn't actually get uh, rained on um, so I was pretty lucky it was just really windy um, but it's always fun down there um, she always looks uh, looks after us made us a very nice steak yeah. oh, the yeah. first night and we went out um, on a boat went out on her yeah her very nice boat um, and then she well, Sue and Kari both beat me, so I had to pay for dinner the next night. Oh, yeah. Um, Pizza t- tasted even better. <laughs> even better because I paid for it. Yeah. Um, nah, she's always good. She's always says we're always welcome to come and see her. And I think she was actually supposed to be in Australia, but due to COVID, she hasn't gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got pretty lucky to be able to catch up with her. And we were quite surprised, actually, that she is coming to play Tampa this mm-hmm. week. So... It's nice to see her back out there at, uh, at an event. In addition to that, Hannah was saying, um, like, Kari was asking us heaps of questions about what to do for Tampa. Like, 
where do we register like what's the go in the morning so even she sent me a few messages today saying so when do we get the wristbands and like what are we doing and and she just said like thanks for helping the rookie out <laughs> so we're like okay this feels so weird rookie that's been pro for 20 plus years yeah. versus a five-year and three-year <laughs> professional yeah and i was like oh just a few more years out there you'll get the hang of it <laughs> Terrific uh, to hear from them. Thanks to Luke for doing that. Isn't that quite something? When you hear about you know the the um, the career arc and the whole Kari Webb contribution to this up and coming brigade of young Australian female golfers and where they find themselves now in relation to Kari, still the competitor, it's it's a that's a hell of a story arc, I reckon. It really is, and, and I you know I've got a marvel at Kari her on course stuff, but I'm becoming absolutely convinced Andy that her legacy will, will be uh, as much for what she's done for the next generation and, and subsequent ones and what she's teaching Hannah and Sue. And you can hear them how overjoyed they are to have such great access to a legend of the game, an absolute mm. legend of the game. And I can't say too much right now, but I do know that the Curry web scholarship is going to get a bit of a tweak because of COVID and she's still contributing it'll come to light in the next week or so what she's doing for the next wave unbelievable i love her love her she's just uh gives and gives well there's a i don't know maybe steph kiriaku is enjoying her world so much and her life so much in europe at the moment that she might just decide to stay there and never cross the atlantic and head over to the states and be part of the the big scene over there on the lpga but she does seem destined to hazy to get there Uh, we've got our great mate falconer to um to thank for some of the data he put he's, he's clearly the number one ticket holder in the Steph Kiriakou fan club at the moment she's in contention again over in Saudi in this team international that's being played at the moment she's tied for 14th after the opening round shot 71 so that tournament started on a Tuesday the previous one finished on a Sunday in which he finished tied for fourth up against the best players in Europe. I mean, the, the, this is the creme de la creme. She's not playing secondary two stuff anymore. She's up against the real good players in Europe and more than holding her own. She's, she's given them windburn, some of these players. So Felgen has put together a whole lot of stuff. World rank Feb 3 this year, 1,203. As of yesterday, it's 172. Her last six starts on the LET, tied fifth, tied 10, second, fifth, Tied 17, tied fourth. She's tied 14 as we speak. Uh, she's first on the LET Rookie of the Year race. And she's fourth, if you don't mind, in the race to the Costa del Sol season-ending tournament. Hazy, nobody... You, you've been talking about Steph Kiriakou for a couple of years and we've been lucky enough to have her on the show. I put to you that nobody in their wildest dreams, in this bizarre year, she's never been to Europe before. Nobody in their wildest dreams could have seen her do what she's doing. This is quite quite the story. Uh, look, and she's a little, she's an absolute cracker. She's, oh, as a, again, as a woman, as good as she is as a golfer, she's better as a young woman. And I saw a couple of signs, Andy. She's always playing second fiddle to some, you know, her good mates. I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way some of her New South Wales state teammates that she played with, she sort of was second fiddle. Um, Doey Choi and Grace Kim, um, a handful of others in that in the teams that took all before them for two or three years, a couple of years ago. But I watched her stick around and practice a little longer 
than some of the others. And again, not to denigrate them, but she no. was, while not in the headlights of the you know the the winners or the the, the grand scheme of um, amateur golf, she was diligently plowing away through her practice routines and getting it all sorted out. So yes, it's a massive surprise that she's doing so well so quickly out of the blocks, but it's not a surprise if you've watched what's happened in the background and she's so dedicated to it. So Andy, I think that what's more amazing about those numbers that Justin and you uh, cobbled together there is that the rankings on the the rookie standings and the race to the Costa del Sol don't take into consideration her biggest achievement, which was winning the Australian Ladies Classic at Bonville when she wasn't a member and was an amateur. So her biggest singular achievement is excluded from that. So imagine, I mean, I'm not, she's not going to run down Christine Pedersen on the top of that rankings, who she was the winner in Saudi Arabia at the weekend and a really good player, as you mentioned, like those top three or four on the world, on the um, Del Sol rankings, they're unbelievable players. Like they're the Solheim Cuppers of the European mm. team. Um, these uh, achievements by Steph Kiriakou, cold to Middle East, cold to Europe, are extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary for a, a kid who, as you say, had never been in that neck of the woods. Um, oh, I'm just so excited for her. And I think she's um, you know, got so much belief in what she's doing now that you know, this, the world's her oyster. Uh, she's a real player. If you, and you know, we're getting a bit more of this, given the fact that this tournament is sort of being shoehorned earlier in the week. We're getting a bit of coverage through KO and you know Fox Sports and all you know the the, the platforms where you consume your golf. So if you haven't, uh, if you have got, if you got access to those and you haven't watched much of it so far, um, and you get a chance to you know she to to see her play. Uh, she's just a gamer. Like she's a real player. She doesn't. She does not back away when she finds herself in the hunt. She just goes for it. And um, oh, it's just she's a real ripper. She's a very. I'm so excited. I don't even. You know, you've seen much more of her than I have. I've never seen her hit a ball live. But the next chance I get to see her play when she's in, you know, our neck of the woods, I'm going to go and watch her play because she's. There's something pretty special about her. I reckon. So we um, we'll continue to watch yeah. her. Yep. You know that uh, the reference you put on Tiger earlier on in the show today about not giving in and mm. you know showing a bit of ticker when it you know when it may or may not matter. So just just by way of wrapping that story up, Andy, I'm not comparing Steph to Tiger, but the other day at Saudi Arabia when things were going a little pear shaped for her in high high winds and she had a bogey and then she had a double bogey from nowhere on the side of a green and lesser players, especially younger players. That's it for them. They they stick the cue in the rack and walk away. And the next, the very next par five, which I think was the thirteenth, I think from memory on that course over there, um, bang 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 eagle. And I think Amazing. that's the mindset. She's got an ability to clear out issues. Um, you can see her laughing and joking with her dad, who's currently a caddy, which is novel in itself for her. Because I know that I think it's Nick wants to be back back here fulfilling his normal employment duties but he's out there carrying his daughter's bag which is awesome and you can see them giggling you can also see her doing the little daughter things like going oh my god dad yeah. stop yeah. being a pain yeah. in my backside sort of she's thing great sometimes. to watch she is yeah, yeah she's brilliant she's brilliant yeah. and I'll put one last thing on the women's golf Andy the, the Solheim Cup just as a matter of interest mm. um, because of the change of years of the Ryder Cup and President's Cup that we know about from 2024, that Solheim Cup is going to be played on even years, so it's the opposite year to from, okay. uh, the Ryder Cup, so from that Europe Cup, and the yeah. US have always got something going on. So it'll be the same year as the President's Cup in years to come. 
great. Well, there's, that gives us another you know, significant point of interest as golf fans every single year. So just before we get to Alan Clark's going to join us and before we wrap it up on the other side of the break, just a couple of things lingering from the from the Masters. I want to get your thoughts. It was a different, obviously a different tournament as we've already discussed, but there were some different elements to the coverage of it. So I'll bowl them up and you tell me what you thought about them. The drone shots. I've just got a couple here. I won't go through all of the differences, but what did you think of the drone shots that we saw this year for the first time? Uh I absolutely love them. I, I mean, I couldn't get enough of them. Every time no. I was as much watching that as anything else, to be honest, I I can't imagine that it's going to be legally possible for them to do it with the crowds. But the one shot that stands in my mind, Andy, was when Sung Im on the last round blazed his uh, approach to 15 over the back and down it and finished on the fringe of the water at the 16th. Yep. yep. And the drone angle of what he had confronting him through those three pine Georgia pines up the hill, gave it such an unbelievable perspective of the challenge of that shot. I'll never forget that. And then he yep. played a magnificent shot on his way to finishing tied second with Cam, which we've sort of neglected to talk about. But yeah, that was the, you know, the highlight of and a lot of them with the drone for me. Yeah, no, magnificent stuff. And some good signs from a President's Cup perspective too, by the way. Um, I love the the historical interludes, little sort of vignettes that were dotted Routine. I didn't like the. I hated the fact that every now and again they'd break for interview. These sort of jarred in interviews back in the in the clubhouse. So that, some of those didn't quite work for me. But the historical interludes going back and showing previous winners and moments in Masters time. Some of that stuff was. I there were foot. There was footage there that I'd never seen before. And you know, we've been consuming the Masters for a long time here in Australia on telly. There are heaps of stuff there I'd never seen before. Yeah, the one and the one that sticks out to me, and that I totally agree with what you just said. The one that stuck out to me was when Tiger blew up because they were making a point all week of Tiger, the analogies to Tiger this year as a um, in comparison to Jack Nicklaus in 1986, because there were a lot of um, quirky stats that sort of lined those things up. Um, when Tiger went haywire on the 12th hole, wasn't that long afterwards that they flashed up some unbelievable footage. And I want to say it was 1964 from memory, which is when he, Jack Nicholas was defending the green jacket and he came to the 12th tee with Bobby Jones watching on apparently and then basically hosled one out and didn't even make the water on the right at the start of the 13th fairway. And they, they made the comparison and the link between Tiger and, the, and they had that footage. Amazing. And it was like unbelievable. Yeah. It was amazing. It was great. And the use of it was perfect. It was just, it was note perfect. And uh, the more of that thing, maybe they did that because they, you know, they wanted to capture some, sort of jar in some atmosphere. I'm I'm not sure. But uh, don't ever drop that. Uh, If they've got a vault of stuff that they are sitting on, they are duty bound to show, even if they show us the same stuff year in, year out, the next time somebody, you know, sort of um, shanks one on 12 or whatever, show it again. Show it again. Show it. We, we just can't get enough of that stuff, I don't reckon. The Masters website, it, it is, it is. I, I, with all due respect to everything that you good people at GA are doing, and you're doing some great stuff digitally, <laughs> some really great stuff. The Masters website is the greatest website on the planet. You can watch every single shot now of every play. It is, it is a joke how good that website is. Uh, Andy, what GA? I, lo- I love what some of the things... I love some of the things that we've done on GA. Yeah, you should do it too. Yeah. But you know, we, you know, and we're and we're going to get to another level again in the next year or so. But 
you know, we don't we're not a we don't carry their boots to the game. This is it's not and it's not only golf, it is above all sports, um, the way yep. that website ticks. Oh, and the best and no one outside people who are involved with coverage of golf can appreciate the logistical challenges of bringing um, to life a tournament that happens over a massive area all at the same time concurrently. And to be able to watch every swing of every player is unbelievable. And the, the history, the statistics, the, uh, I don't know. It, it's saccharine, it's saccharine in its social media coverage because they yes. never ever show um, negative things. But, um, you, you know, the ability to find someone who's done something uh, for, at the back end of the leaderboard and still to promote their albatross on this hole or their, you know, amazing sand save or whatever and just drop it into the run-of-the-mill coverage is unbelievable. Like, it's the best website arguably ever in the history of sport. I agree. No, no I'm, I'm with you. I wasn't just con- confining that to golf. I, I, it is... It's just it's insane how good it is, and you and look, we're not we're not buying the well we are because we do it's all part of it, but we're not we're not getting um, overwhelmed blindly by the PR of you know the PRing of of the Masters, but just from a technical following your player and following all players on their way around four rounds of golf, it's just ridiculous. It's not there's no it's not animation. It's not dotted line. Channel hit his drive here, and then the next one went there and. This is the vision. If you haven't seen it, you can. I'm sure it'll still all still be up there. You can go and have a look at it. Just masters.com, I think it is now, not .org anymore. Um, you can go and find it. Yeah, that's just, right. I mean, you can you still know. get to it through org, but yeah, it's just the, awesome. Um, the, the thing to me, because of the TV coverage, Andy, um, not starting uh, until a certain time, which is the Masters tradition, whether people like it or not. Hmm. You can actually have a guy, especially when the um, the rounds are sort of in odd times because of the weather there, you can actually have a guy play his entire round and uh, you won't see him on the coverage no matter what he's doing, yeah. um, good good or bad. But now, don't want to give away the secrets of our social media coverage, Andy, but um, you can actually go back and watch what Adam Scott did in the, in the middle of the night and actually say to people in Australia... Adam Scott was going along beautifully until he did this on the eighth, and you can actually yep. report on it with authority because you've seen it. Spot on, it's magnificent. Get rid of the third cut. I don't know why they did this. I'm not, I'm not sure what we're allowed. What are we supposed to call it? I'm, the, the, I'm not sure what we call. It. Is it the third cut? Are we allowed to say that in masters jargon? But they had that extra protection. I think they might have been a bit worried about some of the pre-tournament. Um, you know, sort of boom on on what Bryce and, and the big boys might do to the course, but they they so they protected it even though the ball wasn't running out as far as it normally does. But they had that extra cut of rough, and it just took away the flavour. I know the ball wasn't running and it wasn't as bouncy and it didn't have the speed in it that not the course normally has. But oh, they've got to get rid of that. That can't be. That's not good for Augusta. It's not good for that tournament. No, I agree, uh, I, and I haven't got time without notice to, to call it up. But um, Scott Michaud, who we had on the show yep. two or three weeks ago, who's the he's the font of all Augusta knowledge. It's amazing. Um, put to someone said what you said on on Twitter, and he responded to it. Understand, I'm paraphrasing here. Understand your point, um, but that's actually part of the process of what they have to do to get the course ready for the April or April oh, edition of the next right. Masters. So. Okay. Uh, I, I agree with you, but I'll, I'll cut him some slack. I don't normally okay. like cutting the green jackets too much slack, Andy, but I better this time. No, well, that was it for me. Um, 
uh, there was some. There's a million other things we could take away from it, but there are a couple of elements from that coverage that and the the broader. Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say the bit. One of the great things to me, and we were, I was fortunate enough to have Fox and Ko, but um, hopefully some people took up the opportunity to grab Ko. That Masters Channel that Fox puts on for the week is. Uh, to me, that's compulsory viewing. It's it's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's. I find it, it basically runs twenty hours a day in my house because I yeah. have forgotten the Freddie Couples thing in '92, or I've forgotten Seve in '83, or whatever it is. And you, and you tune in, and you go, "Oh, wow!" Yeah. And it's just so good. Um, I, I love that channel. It's brilliant. It, be a bit, it gets a bit dangerous, hazy at times. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, no, no, I'll hang the washing up. No worries. Yeah, no, I'll, you know, I'll take the dog for a walk. Of course, I will. <laughs> Ah, yeah, just got a little <laughs> bit stuck. Uh, righto, let's get a break out of the way. Alan Clark's going to join us. It's a hell of a story. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it. Um, that's coming up next on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. A few other bits and pieces to get to before we wrap it up today. It's been a great great fun to be part of this show. As With all due respect to Sue and Hannah and Cam Smith, I reckon we're saving the best for last here, Hazy. Uh, there's a bloke who's making quite a name for himself in the world of golf up at the Maxville Golf Club. I think that's up near Nambucca Head somewhere. I'm not 100% certain. I'm sure Alan Clark can tell us all about it. 34 times this bloke has won his club championship. I'll say that again. 34, 34 times he's won it. He joins us. He's taking a little break uh, out of his job to, to have a chat to us. Alan Clark, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. Not a problem. We got the number right, haven't we? Is it 34 times you won the club championship? Yeah, so they tell me, yep. Bit, bit greedy, in it? Oh, well, you a long-time dead, aren't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic story. <laughs> like, when did you – how many – was it – I don't expect you've won 34 in a row. How many years ago did you win your first one? Uh, 1977 was my first one. How old are you now? Yeah, so um, turn sixty next week. So <laughs> that's fantastic, Hazy. It's a hell of a story. Well, I, I just like that the fact that um, you know you you didn't win C grade in your first year and you skipped through C and B grade uh, in that second year and got right up and won it in your second year of competitive golf in nineteen seventy seven. I mean, it wasn't you. You took to it like a duck to water, Alan. Yeah, that's um, yeah, just come natural. Yeah, so. Tried the cricket and the football, but yeah, just went to golf. So golf's been in the family. Yeah, go on, go on, Hazy. Yeah, you're pretty competitive with your, um, your. Is it your brother, Stephen? He, did he roll you at some stage? Yeah, he, he he won it a couple of times. Yep, he's a very good player too. So is there much sort of biffo between you two when you get out on the course? Oh no, he, he's actually living in Ballina now. So yeah, we um, he's probably been up there fifteen odd years. So. Yeah, it used to be a good rivalry. It was great. Yep, it's, golf's been in the family for a while, hasn't it? It goes a fair way back amongst you, Clarks. Yeah, yeah. All the boys play and Dad played. He was actually the greenkeeper at Maxwell. So, um, yeah, we've been out there for a long time. And they tell me, we, we've just got a little bit of insight into you. Um, you, you don't, you, you drink responsibly, of course, but you don't mind, you don't th- you don't believe that you can play around a round of golf without having at least a beer with you on the way around. Is, is that is that true? Yeah, it gets very hot out there. So, yeah, you've got to cool down somehow. <laughs> well, that's very true somehow. How do you keep – What is there? have you got a trick to keeping the beer – how many beers do you take around on a normal round? Um, well, I 
probably six. I've actually won a golf bag. It's actually got an esky in it, so best <laughs> bag I've ever won. <laughs> right. I was going to ask you how you kept them cold. For you. That's the great challenge out on a hot go- on a hot day on a golf course. How you keep the beers nice and chilled. So you've got an, yeah. you've got an esky attached to the golf bag. In the golf bag, yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's good. To, yeah, well, we just play with mates and have a beer and you know have a laugh and it's all good. Perfect. So. Alan, I want to get back to the family thing a little bit because, and in relation to the beers, you, I, I assume it's your son, Jake. Uh, he's pretty hell-bent on beating you. Does he sort of stay sober enough to sort of have a crack? Because he hasn't got you yet, has he? No, no, no. He's, um, well, he's actually moved to Queensland now, but I think he's going to come back this way. But um, no, he's a, he's a very good player too. So, so you just can't let He'd him be the biggest hit of just... a golf ball ever, that bloke. So. Yeah, really? Oh, How he's far? a massive hit of a golf ball. How far does he hit it? Uh, well, our last par five is 500 and, oh, about 510 metres, I think. And he hit to drive a wedge to it. So. <laughs> right. No, we Amazing. need to roll this ball. The ball's going too far. We need to, we need to roll this back for sure. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. Alan, I, I want to just ask you one thing, um, or two more questions from me, I should say. One is, uh, you're not going to let Jake beat you, but you've... Uh, there's been five pros, I understand, at Maxville mm. in your time, and and only one of them's ever beaten you. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he won it once. Yeah, so we were lucky to yeah get five pros out such a little course. You know, we we sort of average around thirty five plays a week. Well, this COVID thing, it's it's really helped us. We're actually averaging up to about fifty now this year, so it's been actually a blessing for us. So. And what about the time you uh, once played with a sore shoulder? We, we you you kept playing because you thought you had a sore shoulder. Can you tell everyone what it turned out to be? Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually had a broken arm. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you won the club championship with it. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a holding one that year. It was amazing. Oh, so, um, Alan, this is this story is ridiculous. This, is this needs to be this. Yeah. Alan, what, so you just said you're about to turn 60. Um, how many more do you reckon you've you've got in you? And tell us what you're playing off at the moment. Um, yeah, I'll play off one. Um, but with this new handicapping system, you know, it's, I'm not a one marker anymore, but I just yeah, I just play at masculine. I know every blade of grass. So. Yeah. Yeah, blame yeah, Hazy. Blame blame Hazy for the new system, uh, Al. It's all Hazy's handiwork. He's the one. He's the one that takes Hazy. all feedback regarding the new handicapping system at Golf Australia. So yeah. <laughs> it's all his fault, mate. <laughs> hey, um, do you, it, do you think you can win another couple, Alan, before it's all said and done? Oh, I know. Well, I didn't think I'd win this year. You know, we had three guys played really well all year, and come August, they all sort of, I don't know, laid down. I don't know what happened to them, but. Oh, mate. Yeah, they're, they're coming back. They've got some young blokes coming through, and yeah, my days are numbered. That's all right. Oh, mate, they see the name A. Clark. They see the name Clark on the leaderboard. It's got the Tiger Woods type effect. They start getting the trembles whenever whenever they see Clark making another birdie and climbing up the leaderboard. They all see you coming, Alan, and they fall apart. The the reputation speaks for itself. Yeah, well, but. Keeps going, it'll be great for me. So, <laughs> I would, it will. <laughs> I will let you get back to work. Thanks for um, thanks for joining us, mate. It's a hell of a story. You should be incredibly proud of what you've been able to do, and uh, I'm sure it's uh, one that's rarely challenged anywhere in the world of golf. To be honest, this has got to be close to being some sort of record, I'd reckon. Um, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. Appreciate it.
Not a problem. Thanks very much. Good on you. Alan Clark, 34 times club championship at the Maxwell Golf Club. That's just a ridiculous. That is a truly, truly ridiculous thing that he's done, Hazy. It is. It, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear from other people who have got a story that may or may not top that. Mm. Um, I can't imagine. It's just such a, an extraordinary feat. Um, I imagine the name El Goggin might be on the, yeah. the Royal Hobart Championship board. 34 times? 34 times. That's, why, that's yeah. why Alan's such a um, remarkable achievement. I, I do remember seeing... I can't remember the name. Bad research for me, but something at the Ballarat Golf Club a million years ago, there was a, a name there that was pretty prevalent, but 34 is off the charts, especially when, as we were intimating there, the five five people in that time have come through the ranks at Maxville, which, as you point out, is just sort of near, not too far from Port Macquarie, mm. uh, who have gone on to become professional golfers. And he's beaten only one of those rising young players has ever beaten Alan. It's it's unbelievable. It's, it's some sort of story. It really is. Uh, we're delighted to have him on the show. A um, few other bits and pieces before we go. Can I just give a little plug? So we're recording this on um, Wednesday morning. A lot of you are probably listening to this. If you listen to the radio version, it might be a bit too late for you. But Keely Marks, who's our great little mate, um, fantastic young player, She's got a um, doing it for Jared stall set up at the Heritage Golf Club. So if you listen to the podcast and you're out and about, uh, Saturday morning at 9 o'clock it starts. There's a whole lot of Luke the Duck um, uh, merch there. There's uh, silent auctions. There's raffles. There's snags. There's local traders have come in and um, contributed stuff. Every single cent of Killy Marks's, um store goes to Challenge Cancer. Every, 100% of the proceeds go to Challenge Cancer. Uh, it's it's She's an incredible kid. I mean, she's uh, doing this all off her own bat. So um, if you are in that neck of the woods and you're hearing this and you're taking a drive on Saturday morning, it starts at 9. It's up near the clubhouse at Heritage. You can do a lot worse than swing by, grab a cup of coffee and a snag and, um, you know, if for no other reason, make a donation for the good people at Challenge Cancer. But to Keely Marks, it's... Um, quite something when you see a young kid um, do something like this hazy it, it fills you full of hope for oh, the, uh, hope for the planet you know Keely's a really really promising young amateur player yep um, she's, like, she's really promising state team as captain the Victorian primary school team etc um, and as good as she is as a golfer she's twice as good a person at a young age and on the bottom of one of her tweets yesterday was remember Cancer is not in lockdown. Correct. That's such an unbelievable perspective from someone so young. And, you know, she's been on this show before. We'll have her again, I'm sure. But, yeah, look, if you ever want to uh, – if you're anywhere in northeastern suburbs of Melbourne, just give her a follow on Twitter and either get out to Heritage and throw some support or you can do it online with doing it for Jared. It's, it's the best golfing course going around without doubt. No doubt. Um, and speaking of lockdown, um, the good people and continuing our support of, um, you know, raising money for cancer treatment and research, uh, the longest day is going to go ahead. There's been obviously all sorts of challenges, um, you know, with, with golf around certain parts of Australia. We know Adelaide's going through its little troubles right now, and we wish everybody in that part of the world all the very best. Just We've seen what you can do in Victoria if you lock it down and shut the thing down and 
you can get rid of it completely. So we wish everybody in Adelaide all the very best. But the longest day is going ahead. So um, if you just search the longest day, uh, you'll be able to find out all the details. I'm sure we'll put out thousands of links between now and then. But, um, you know, between that, that last week of the year, if you can, get it yourself and a couple of mates together and... Oh, there's all sorts of options now. Once upon a time, it was walk the 72 in a day, but there's ranges of options now. They've listened to a lot of people who want to be part of it but can't do the 72 in a day. So there's 36-hole options, 54-hole options, 72 still there traditionally, of course. So if you want to be part of that, um, reach out to your club, get a team together, get a time, um, and, you know, raise some money for uh, for a fantastic cause. And you'll have a day. If you, if you do do the 72, which... You and I have been doing routinely now for the last couple of years. Um, you'll have a day that you'll you'll groan and moan about at some stage, but you'll love every second of it at the end of it when you put your feet up and have one of those cold Alan Clark-inspired beers uh, at the end of the round. Uh, you'll feel very, very happy about what you've done. And So get involved in that. That's the end of my plugging. I don't know what else you've got for us today. No, you've covered everything that I had written down, Andy. Oh, good. Like, I'm literally going down to to my club at Kerr Lewis today to organise us to go around again one more time. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's, I don't know, it, it, it's a crazy day. But as you say, that I'm not a great beard connoisseur, but uh, when you, you know, knock the top off one at the end of 72 holes, it tastes pretty good, to be honest. It does. It sure does. Um, that's it. We're done. Episode 190. Thanks for being part of it. Uh, thanks to oh. everybody who's given. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah, I knew there was one more. I've, go I've on. got one. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I've I got one last thing. I can't even. Go on. Sorry. I didn't even uh-huh. think about it. Um, I haven't got the winner right now. It's about in the next couple of hours to be posted. So this is Wednesday, but it'll be well up and about uh, for those listening on the weekend already. The Masters living room oh, went yes. off, Andy, yes. on the, through all the great promotions that Greg Oakford and his team did. Uh, uh, it went off. There were some amazing entries. Jesus, some people went to a lot of trouble and there were a lot of kids involved and some right. you know, some amazing mini golf courses that we saw and, yeah, incredible. So thanks to everyone for being involved in that competition and the winners will be announced um, probably by the time people are listening to this. But thank you again for all those who got involved and hope you get that joy from the Bushnell wingman and the uh and the callaway drivers etc some great prizes so well done good work uh, that's it we're done inside the ropes 190 done uh only a couple more left for the year so we'll be back next week to do it all again thanks for being part of it speak to you then